Hello and welcome to the Comedian's Outlook. I'm Luke Anthony and for this episode I was joined by Rob Coleman. This is another lockdown virtual episode and well but Rob I've been trying to get on the podcast for the best part of a year I would say the best part of a year because we met early 2019 at my gig that I used to run the Bridge Comedy Club which is still there is on hiatus hopefully we'll kickstart that again when the lockdown's lifted but yeah I met him then and I wanted to get him on the podcast but he lives in somewhere in Leicestershire and I live in Cambridgeshire and it was we could never find a gig that was in the right place he will say right he would say that it was my fault and that I just couldn't get my schedule together but I think it was a mutual thing I just think that our calendars didn't quite match up but now he's locked down managed to pin him down and have a chat to him and and you know what this episode was one of those that felt like I was in person it was the one that also felt like a proper episode like an in-person episode because the the conversation that we had was about the deconstruction of jokes it was like there was no lockdown there was no coronavirus going on it was just basically talking about where we got to with comedy and and with how he deals with his material and all those things and it, it just felt very fresh and, and very nice to to speak about it as if nothing had changed and it's just business as usual so yeah i really enjoyed this so please welcome to the show rob coleman um you you, you abstained from comedy for a little while didn't you uh kind of i mean not it wasn't it was only because i had a little, little row to do um, I didn't make a conscious to step back from it. I just took 12 weeks out to row the Atlantic, that's all. Um, yeah. But I was still gigging her up because I went and I had gigs booked in and I went back. So it wasn't the decision of, I don't like comedy. Or was it, I just wanted to do the row and then um, come back to it, which I did. Yeah. Ever, I didn't die. So that's good. always good news. So tell us about the row then. How, how long did that take? The row took 51 days from Canaries to Antigua. Uh, four of us in the boat, and we are now the proud holders of a world record for the fastest mixed crew in an old-fashioned boat. In an old-fashioned boat. That. Yeah. How do you qualify an old-fashioned boat? Uh, mate, how technical do you want to get? It basically, it depends which end you look at it from. The new boats are, mu- are much more effective in the wind than the one that we had. And, okay. Um, hence, there are different, different, different classes, different rules, that sort of stuff. But I'm writing a show about it for Edinburgh. Would have been oh, this year because we'll have, we'll, have, we'll have it next year. Were, were you going to yeah. go up to Edinburgh this year? I was, yeah, with with the boat show, but um, almost no one's going this year, so which is a shame. So it'll be done next year instead. But looking forward to it; going to be good. Yeah. Had you had you spent any money on it yet? Has it has it had you done any fees um, or any of that? Or? Yeah, I'd spent money on with Laughing Horse for the free festival, and I'd spent I put myself in the brochure, but that's all deferred until next year, so I won't lose that money, which is fortunate. Just won't, I just won't spend it. My luck, my luck is I didn't buy I didn't buy any accommodation. Yeah, it looks like people are having a hell of a job getting money back from the flat people this year. So I'm glad I didn't do that. I, I thought it might come to it, so I thought I won't do the accommodation stuff till I absolutely have to. So I did worry it was going to be a lockdown at some point. So fortunately, I've escaped that. But there's still probably five hundred pounds invested in it, which was rolled for next year, which is a pain, but it could be worse. Yeah, I mean, did, does that mean that people can't apply for next year? Like, will there, do you reckon there'll still be spaces for next year? Or There'll be a lot fewer, clearly, I think, because I think, or, I mean, certainly from what I can make out from the Laughing Horse people, most shows have deferred till next year. So that means there are fewer spaces next year. I'm imagining most of the pro shows have deferred, because why wouldn't you? You've got a show you want to take up. 
you can obviously rewrite it and retitle it and stuff, but you've booked your space in the brochure. Unless you're absolutely flat breaking and you need the money back for this year, why wouldn't you defer and just have more time to rock on the show you're working on? So I think, I mean, from the programmer's point of view, they can have a year off next year pretty much because all their work is done this year. But I think there'll be a lot fewer spaces for, for new acts or acts who haven't been wanting to go up next year, possibly now can't. That's fair enough, though. At least they haven't actually cancelled it all together and not refunded. I mean, a lot of a lot of events have, have been right bastards about it with, with 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 respects to refunds and things like that. Because you know, obviously, refunding like thousands and thousands of people in one go is could pretty much finish a finish a company off. Um, yeah, I mean, to be fair to the Fringe, they did offer, I think, to refund people who wanted it, and I'm not sure how many people have taken that offer up. But as far as I can make out, certainly most of the free fringe guy, free festival guys have decided to take it on the chin and just defer till next year. So I'm hoping that's the same way across the board. So because um, these charities, like all of us, they all run on, you know, on fresh air most of the time. So they can keep the money for a year and so, so much better for them. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so what's the writing process been like that for that then? Is, it, is this going to completely change or are you still going to keep the same show or mainly the same show? It'll be pretty much the same. I hope it'll be better because I want more time to work on it, hopefully. But, you know, there's no guarantee that I'll still be writing on the train and I go up there, I think, next year because that's the nature <laughs> of the beast. Um, I'm actually not a massive fan of Edinburgh. I find it emotionally very hard to cope with and mentally very hard to cope with. So I've only booked myself to, to, to do a two-week run next year and I probably won't go again. I only want to go up with this show because I think it's, I'm really passionate about doing this boat show because I've done the experience. I want to talk about it. And there may be a tour possibly coming out of it if it goes well. That's the only reason I wanted to do it. Edinburgh, I think, as a as a guest for a couple of days is amazing. As a performer for a month, it's so hard. I find it just incredibly destructive in every, in every level possible. Don't, I don't really don't enjoy it that much. I, I, some people love it. Some people don't. I mean, I I personally I haven't taken a show up to Edinburgh. One, I'm probably not ready to take one up, or I, I wouldn't I wouldn't call myself ready. Um, mm-hmm. Um, I probably could do it, but again, someone's always, people always say that it's never too late to take one up, but you can be too early. So it's best just to wait till you're ready. But I, the idea, because I've got like sort of home responsibilities and rent and 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 bills, and you know, we're trying to start our life together, and that that it's a hell of a lot of money to to invest in something that I probably won't enjoy that much. You need a very clear idea of why you're doing it. I think it's going to cost you minimum £3,000. And if you're a comic, are you better off taking that money and putting it into podcasts, a better video, doing my open mic spots, people who wouldn't normally see you, but we'll see you because Edinburgh is quite quiet in terms of comics not being there. I think if you go to Edinburgh, you need to know why you're going. There's no point doing it the second Edinburgh. There's absolutely pointless. You have to go because you because you want to promote a show that you're already proud of and that possibly you could take on tour afterwards or you've got something that um, you just want to get out creatively and get out artistically as, as a piece of work whether people come and see it or not isn't that important to you. But I think going to Edinburgh because you want to go to Edinburgh is utterly pointless a waste of your money and time. And also I think you're right. I think minimum six, seven years of being a comic before you go out there. Or else you, I mean, but you know, my advice probably would be to go up there as a, as a, as a comic, maybe for a weekend, maybe two or three days, go to open spots and see if you enjoy the experience. And then from there, I'd, I'd maybe do do a three hander or for an hour with a couple of other comics, 
maybe two hand and build up to your hour gradually as, as you just said there's no hurry for this sort of stuff you've got all you know you're only 28 you've got 30 years you don't have to rush this thing up there just go and do it when you feel like it you might find you hate it you might find you love it it's not for me i'm not a social person i find the crowds horrifying the flowering i hate because i don't like people i can't i hate promoting my own show so unless i've got something i'm really really passionate about like the boat show i wouldn't go up but i think people blindly think edinburgh is a place to be no the chance of you getting discovered in edinburgh are so so slim unless you've got a massive pr machine you, you know you, it's difficult to do almost impossible to do so unless you've got something you're really passionate about or have a really clear plan of what you want to achieve take your mind and do something else with it I mean, a, a lot of comedians see it as a place to, if they do go up and get on loads of compila compilations, they see it as a way to have had that high level of dense gigs where you can just have so many gigs in one month that makes you, obviously in turn, makes you a better comic. I think that's true, that you if you gig three or four times a day, you probably might come away with, with a new set. But it's cost you three grand to do that. Is yeah. that a good spend? Is that a good spending of money? I just don't know. You could probably get, if you worked hard enough, you could probably find yourself twenty five, thirty gigs open spots in in August, any elsewhere in the country, whereby you could try new stuff out and come away with with the same length of set, and having spent much less money on it. And I just maybe don't, I don't even made I think some money. That point of view, yeah. If if you if you if you're a sociable kind of person. And you enjoy the crack and you think, yes, I can get 20 minutes out and have a good fun one time when I'm doing it, then yeah, go for it. But I think you've got to be, be very clear why you're doing it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So you're, with your persona, you've got um, a slightly deadpan, um, low energy thing about you. Now, and, and there's obviously something very visual and obviously visual about you in the way that you present yourself. With this boat show, because you're so passionate about it, will you continue with that same? persona that you've you, you know you so like flawlessly deliver or will you sort of change <laughs> that and we, we, we sort of change that and try and and try and hone that a little bit to make it a bit more sort of personal weirdly i've started my persona's begun to change uh, because i'm doing so much more comparing uh, than i ever was and actually really enjoying it a lot more i've become a little bit more interactive than i was when i was just doing the deadpan the last time you saw me so there's quite a lot more audience interaction and quite a lot more chat in my set than there, than there was certainly certainly a year ago, maybe even six months ago. And um, it's going much easier, I think, because of that, to make the boat show into the passionate thing I, I believe it can be. So I'm not so worried about that as I used to be because I thought it would be, as you said, it would be very hard in my, very, in my early days to transfer that into something I was passionate about because my whole shtick used to be being passionate about nothing. But now I'm much more upbeat than I was um it'll be a lot easier i think yeah I, I watched one of your videos that was dated around september at the time and and it seems that you've you you're a lot more sort of free in the way you people people get to know you as a as a person as well it's not not just not just gag heavy not just your sort of um uninterested approach it seems that you there's a lot more kind of audience participation in in your show yeah, I think that's true. I because I've I've begun to realise that I could write one-liners that were quite neat and tidy and funny, but they didn't prevent my 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 personality, and they were just quite cold-blooded one-liners in that respect. And I really wanted to get involved or get my personality through a lot more than before. 
I think it makes you a better comic because you're writing from the heart there as well as apart from just, you're not just trying to write well-crafted, linguistic, clever jokes, right? And stuff that comes from the heart and the soul. And that comes across much better because you, because you believe in what you're saying, but the it comes across it much more passionately uh, than you did if you're just writing clinical one-liners. It also frees you up tremendously because it means you can banter with the audience a lot more. So if the, if the gags aren't going so well, you've got the opportunity, you have a plan B then to muck about with the audience, which makes life a lot easier. And also helps with the comparing tremendously because it makes me much, it makes me much freer on stage. I think I'm physically much freer on stage now as well as being emotionally freer. So I think I'm much better comic because of it. Um, have you found in the past that you originally avoided MCing? Yeah, because I didn't think I could do both. I didn't see how I could um, be, a, be a proper, a true one-liner merchant and be an MC as well. And I discovered the key to it was just to be a completely different person on stage as an MC. Well, I even wear different clothes to a certain extent. When I'm, when I'm doing my set, I wear my jacket and I wear my white shirt because I feel like I'm going to work. When I'm wearing, when I'm seeing, I'll wear just jeans and a t-shirt. And that in itself makes me feel a whole lot free and a whole lot more relaxed, which comes across in the seeing because you can just piss about with people a lot more. And it's much easier to just to, it psychologically makes you feel much more relaxed and psychologically makes you feel much better about chatting with people and just easier to interact. Um, and once I started to MC, I discovered I really enjoyed it and I was actually quite good at it. And that gave me more freedom to do more when I gradually started seeping into my set as well. So everyone's a winner. So how did you start that? Cause I, I, I used to avoid MCing as well. Cause it used to, the, the idea of letting down a room of comedians or just letting down a, a lineup of comedians by not doing it right or, or losing the right, you know, losing the energy or not getting the right energy in the room. Um, petrified me more than dying on my ass like because you know you have to talk to the comics you know that that will be spoken about elsewhere and in another place to other comics so that's a lot more scary than 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 having a bad gig to be fair comics talk about you anyway whether you've whether you've died in your ass and then we'll see whether you died in your ass doing a set comics will still say oh so and so was good or so and so was bad or whatever i think the great thing about being an mc is that you're because you're not supposed to be as funny as the comics and a lot of audience won't treat you as a comic they'll treat you as an MC. i mean i know it's an old cliche but people do come up to me and say oh you're quite funny you should be a comic as if being an MC was a different was a different animal completely your your job as an MC is to get people facing the right way know the rules and get them warmed up just enough so the first comic can come and do their thing and be funny you're you can actually over MC a, a room and, and be too funny. I've, I've not, I worked with compares in the past who are so good that the first act, even though they're really good themselves, comes on and struggles because people want more of the, of the compare. And they, they don't want the first act. They feel the first act has cheated them out of time with the compare. So your role as a compare is to be part, part organiser and part humorist, but actually not wildly funny. You're kind of like the act's fluffer in some ways and if you come if you come yourself then you can you know if you if you make the acts come so i'll start again if you make the audience come and you haven't done your job properly if you like that's that's down to the comics if that yeah. makes sense so in, you can be it's very easy to be adequate compare i think just get the room set up get them organized get them faced in the right way and don't piss them off too much your job is done so the pressure is off thing to a certain extent yeah yeah and there's no so, go on also, I love being rude to people. 
It's my favourite thing. <laughs> and yeah. being a compare, obviously I'm always charming, Luke, as you know, I'm just... Yes, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Yes. But it's been rude to people being a compare in a very char- lovely and charming and cheeky way. So, you know, my, it's pretty much what I was born for. So with, um, with your persona before, did you, did you shy away from that um, being rude to the audience or being cheekily rude to the audience? Is this, is this a new development for you, being able to bring them in and then to set them up to, for you to then attack? Yeah, I think attack's probably a bit harsh. I think I'd probably <laughs> take, take the piss out of it. I mean, I, 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 I do sometimes get employed. I, was, I did a corporate a couple of weeks, just literally just the lockdown started, and someone said, right, we want you to come in your training message and just attack the audience, which was fine. I could do that very easily. It wasn't a problem. I'm sure that comes naturally. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) It was, um, when I first started doing this, I was very, very self-controlled, very insular. I knew that I was going to do one joke, then this joke, and this joke, and this joke. And there was no deviation allowed or not because I was too scared to do it, which is fine if the joke's going well. If the joke's going badly, you have no plan B at that point. And I think particularly if you're a gag merchant with a start and end of a gag is, is blatantly obvious to everyone involved, you need a plan B. So if the jokes aren't going well, you can get out of that and do something else, which is kind of why I started doing the, the chatty stuff as well, because it gave me an escape route if the jokes weren't working. And from there, involved the conference to do a bit more talking to people. Apart from anything else, 25 minutes of jokes is quite hard to listen to because the the pattern tends to be the same and people find it quite hard to work with. I remember Gary Delaney saying that when he first started doing that, no matter how good he was, he would never do one 20 minutes to close it just because it was too difficult for people to, to get on board for that length of time. Putting the compare, putting the chat in, means you break up the rhythm a bit. Yeah. So definitely. I've got, in a 20 minute set, there are probably seven or eight places where I can, where, I, where I, I've inserted on purpose an opportunity to talk to the audience. If that goes well, have everyone has a lot of fun, I won't go back to jokes. That's fine. If if it reaches natural occlusion, you then go back to where you start, where you were at the point in the set, do some more jokes, then go interact. So you're still going from A to Z, but sometimes you go off piece and go diagonally zigzag rather than going in a straight line. But you're still very much in control and able to bring that back to the gags if you need them. They're all there, lined up to go. Yeah, it's just because um, I- someone like Jason Stamp who's tell stories now, but he used to be a gag writer. He used to do a lot of one-liners and things like that. And he used to have a few in his, they're quite punchy, fast ones he used to have in, a, he used to have in his set, his 20-minute set. And he found that the, 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 the rhythm was wrong. So he'd have a few, a few funny one-liners and then go into a story and it didn't work for him. It seems to be quite a skill to be able to deviate from both and to, to jump between the two whenever you need to. Yeah, I think it helps if you can get it work, whether you, whether you end up doing some longer stories or not, because again, it just breaks up the rhythm a bit. But there is a, you've got to take the audience with you clearly on, on the journey that you're taking them on, because it is, it can be quite a gear change from saying, oh, by the way, I hate your mum, that sort of stuff. You know, it's, <laughs> it's quite, it can be quite a gear change, I think, to, to go into that. So you have to have the audience on your side to make sure you, have, you get them on your side rather um, to make sure they're going to go with stuff. Um, and there is, it's kind of a, it's quite a dark art, I think, to, to um, be able to do a joke. I mean, the jokes, the, going from the joke to the banter is easy. 
because you've written the joke with the sole purpose of going into the banter, so that's fine. Going from the banter back to jokes can be more difficult. You're never quite sure how the banter is going to end, and therefore how th- there's no set route back into the jokes, if that makes sense. So you have to manage that much more carefully. Does it help to write a lot of jokes that could, you know, because someone I know, I know um, Jimmy Carr's, you know, is all very much manufactured and he, he has it all lined up, but he's written so many jokes in his time that pretty much any interaction he can have, he can have a comeback or a joke that's lined up after it. Does it, so do you, do you write lots of sort of arbitrary jokes in order to facilitate that banter to then path you path your way back into the one-liners yeah and again i think a lot of that has come from comparing because when i well because i'm doing a lot more comparing i will say something deliberately provocative that i know will get a response that also a joke that's deliberately that leads into the banter is very easy to do because you can write a joke with the express purpose of going into banter from that gag so it's not a problem Getting back out of the banter into the joke can be quite hard because you're not entirely certain how the banter is going to end, so it's difficult to plan. Um, what you can do, you can make it very obvious. Nick Page is a lovely little bit whereby he goes, you know, he will say to the audience, I don't know, what's your job or whatever. And when he's done that, but he'll say, I don't really care about what your job is. I'm just doing that banter as a purpose to get into the next joke. So you can, you can make it so obvious that um people don't get offended by it because they can clearly there's a join you make the join so clear and so blatant that it's not a problem the other way of doing it is you have loads of jokes which hopefully you've got after a number of years in the business whereby you can find your own escape route because the banter's gone in such direction your brain will say oh i can put a joke in there you put a joke in there and all of a sudden you're either back in your set or if you want to carry on and try and do some more banter, find another joke to come to come back out of it. So it's normally possible to find enough exits from um, your banter to go back into your set. You're never quite sure which bits that you're going to go back into is, is the only problem, but it's normally possible to find an exit somewhere or other. Now I know you're good friends with with uh, Chris Norton Walker and. He he uses the memory palace technique. Is that something that you've used for your jokes in order to remember them at those points that you may need them? No, I tend to literally learn it by rote and just practice it a lot. Um, I'm kind of old school in that respect in that I just, I just do it enough times and it sinks in. And again, because the comparing has helped so much with that in terms of just making you sharp enough and it almost becomes like your own internal memory palace in the sense your brain goes oh if someone says that word that leads you to that joke so there's nothing formal written down as such but it's an ex- it's a process that i've honed over the months and, and the years of doing particularly the comparing and going in going into banter from gags that i can find myself thinking oh yeah that's fine that joke goes and they were back on track um, the other thing, of course, you can do is you don't have to go back to the joke at all. No. If everyone's having a nice time and everyone's doing it, doing it loving, loving the banter, just go with it. I mean, I did a, I did a set in Barry St. Evans a few, a few months ago, which is where my mother lives, and I hadn't invited her to the gig because I don't like her. Um, <laughs> and this is, she won't see this, will she? And um, it, about five minutes, ten minutes, 
into the set, it dawned on someone in the audience who I was, and she, they knew my mother. Oh, God. And they said, oh, you're, you're Mrs. Coleman's son. I said, yes. And it, that was it. That was the end of the jokes, really. We just we just had fun for the next 20 minutes from there. So it's having the flexibility, I think, is the key to all this, to be able to, to dive in, dive out, go back in, go back out again. Um, and if, the, if, if it absolutely the worst comes to the worst, and you can't think of any way of getting out of it, just say something like, gosh, this is, you know, this wasn't how I was expecting the gig to go. Anyway, I have written these finely crafted jokes, do a few more, and then maybe there's another opportunity to go back into banter and you go from there. So there's always a way out of it. It's a question of how, of how crunched the gears come before you, before you get yourself back out of it. I mean, that's something that comes with experience, and obviously MCing does help with that, but um, fundamentally experience. I mean, a lot of people, you know, new comics or people that are slightly stage um, shy, won't be able to have that kind of level of, I don't know, just a, a bulletproof ego. So if it doesn't start working, sometimes that can kill a set straight away. But experience allows you to recover a set or to move with the set. Or Yeah, I mean, there, is, there are some gigs where you just won't win. And no matter what you try and do, no matter how many buttons you press, they're just gonna not going to like you. And that in that situation, you um, just play your set grit your teeth, get through it, get off stage, smile sweetly and go home. But that's very rare. Normally you can do something to repair the damage. If, you, if you've got enough experience and if you know what you're doing sufficiently, you, you can normally get yourself out of a hole. Um, you know, if, if need be, just, I mean, some quite, something sometimes is quite effective. It's just almost to reset yourself. Don't be afraid to stay away from the mic, have a glass of water, give yourself a few seconds. Um, to think about things properly. Um, there is normally a way to recover it. Although I remember Tony Coward has got this great story whereby he did a gig and he was absolutely having an absolute nightmare, having a horrible, horrible time. And eventually he acknowledged, he said, look guys, you don't like me. I'm, I'm having a horrible time. What, what say you, we start the gig again and we'll, and we'll come back on and we'll, we'll start fresh, give it you know, a clean slate, go from there. And there was a sort of grudging acceptance. He goes, we'll give him a second chance. So he goes back off stage, gets reintroduced, does the first joke, and some guy says, we preferred the first guy. <laughs> now, at that point, you are kind of screwed, I think. Um, but as you say, experience is the key to this. I could never have done what I'm, what I'm doing now when I first started out. And nor yeah, should yeah. you be able to, because it's something that just comes with time. And that means gigging relentlessly. Yeah, I mean, I think in my first year I did 250 gigs. It was like ridiculous. Wow, and that's incredible. I had a horrible time at most of them, but because I thought I really, really wanted to do, I just kept on plowing away. And eventually, and I'm quite a slow learner, um, <laughs> but eventually I got to the point where I said, "Okay, this works. This doesn't work. This is getting better." And after a while, some people, some people takes two years, some people takes five, some people takes ten, fifteen, some people never get it. Eventually, you should get to the point whereby you can get yourself out of most situations. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I, it's, yeah, it, sort of bringing it back to an MC's job and, and, and sometimes like I, I sort of try and tell stories and have, try and have, you know, sort of punchlines at the end of them. Um, they're not, mm. they're not always necessarily true stories. They're often just silly ones that are just leading into a punchline. But in some rooms, if the MC who looks after the show is, fundamentally a one-liner and they just do one-liners through in between then the room's not always geared up to 
someone who's going to tell stories because the you know the person who they're used to the person they're there for almost is 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 set that tone has set that standard and i remember going on to one of these gigs and about three probably about uh say 30 40 seconds in someone heckled and said we want jokes and i hadn't even got to the punchline of the first story (laughs) yeah it's difficult i think because on the one hand you are their performing monkey and in a sense it doesn't matter as long as you're making them laugh it doesn't matter how you're doing it um and i think that the mc in that case has probably done you a great disservice because it's not their job to go on and carve their setup into three or four different sections for a bit of, for each bit of emceeing. Their job is set the room up for the rest of the acts. So, I mean, as the compare, you need to have the smallest ego on the bill because yeah. the audience isn't there for you. They're there for the inverted commas comics, even though you're a com- or they're, sorry, they're there for the acts, as it were, rather than the compare. So your your job is to get the room just funny enough to simmering so the comics take at the boiling point. If you take it over the bowl and water goes over the hob, then you have no job properly. Yeah. Um, equally, I think there's a case, and I've done it myself on several occasions, the compare goes on and you think, right, this room needs recomparing because it hasn't been compared properly. They're not warmed up properly. And I would have no qualms if I thought it was necessary to go on stage as probably the first act because you'd hope by the middle act the night had been warmed up sufficiently by the acts themselves, never mind the compare. I had no problem with the first act going on and maybe doing a couple of jokes to get them to sort of make them prove that was funny, but um, basically going to recompare your knife if you needed it. Yeah, you got to hit him. Maybe in that case, I could have hit him quicker with a punch. I mean, I usually do. Usually, I, I it was a new material night, so I was just trying out new stuff. I, oh, okay. It, to, talking out yeah. loud, you know, it wasn't, wasn't a special gig in, in any sense of the word. But on the flip sure. side of that, though, like, if if a compare is somebody that just tells stories and doesn't do that many gags, that's also a disservice to a gag gag it's, writer. Yeah, you, I think you've got to know the acts that you've got to know the acts that are coming on. And if your first act is a gag merchant, it's only fair on them to try and throw a couple of gags into the mix before you bring them on. So they are not going on to a room that's just been taking the piss out for fifteen minutes. Um, so it does, you have to, as I say, it's part of the complex job to set the, set the room up, and that includes setting the room up for the particular acts you've got coming on. So you've got to slightly adapt your style if possible so that the audience say, oh, yeah, there, there, there are jokes in this night, and the next act is a joke merchant, or, or there are stories because the next act is tell stories, that sort of thing. So you've got to try and be quite a chameleon in that respect. Um, equally, I'm not personally a man of compares who just divide their setup into three sections no matter what um, sort of comics they've got coming next. I think you have to get the balance right between bantering, getting your audience ready and making sure that um, they are prepared for the next comic that's coming up. And if I wanted the comic to do his set or her set, I would employ them to do a set. And I think the comparing is such a different skill from doing it to run your set out. And I think it's important that the compare is flexible and has the ability to adapt themselves. I mean, I think the, the fundamentals clearly are about participation. That's one of the fundamental building blocks of a comic, of a compare rather. But yeah. you also have to have the ability to know who's coming on after you, what sort of style they do, and try, if you can, at least maybe towards the end of your, of your section of comparing, 
just throwing a couple of bits of pieces of what they do to get the ones ready for that sort of level, that sort of comic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I was just, uh, just I, anyway, my, the way I dealt with it was got him to tell a joke that didn't get a laugh, so. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it's like, Daniel, because it turns out they're going to tell a genius joke and the audience likes them better than you, then, you've got, then you have got a mountain to climb. That's a very, yeah, so. very big risk, yeah, very big risk. Yeah. But I think you were harshly dealt with by the audience because the new material is, you know, that's what it's there for. You're supposed to be able to, tra- to chat shit, maybe without any jokes at all, maybe trying to work out the joke as you, as you go through. And if, if you, people aren't allowed to do that, they shouldn't really be there. Yeah, I mean, I mean for me, like my, my, um, first, my first point of developing, well, I say my, my first one is making notes, but then the first time I do it, it's always, it's always just talking out loud. And then as you talk more, you know, you find, you find funnier bits as you go. Like if you're telling a story, you, without saying it out loud, you don't really know where all the funny bits are. You know, the essence of it and you know, the, the reason why you thought of it and, and you think that it could be funny. But often when you start talking about a particular subject, you know, that's why bouncing off people is so easy when you're improvising or you're bouncing off people because you, you're basically getting free content and free material as they're talking because you just have more and more fuel for you to to take and to turn into something funny and i yeah. guess that's what stories really are because they they're, they're they're funnier because they they develop and they amalgamate into something different completely agree and i think you the more you chat to people and the more you talk to people and the more you even just say the words out loud in your head um the better you'll be. I, I find it really hard to sit down in front of the computer with a blank sheet of of, of, pa- of virtual paper and write from scratch. But if I just walk around the garden and talk to myself, then stuff happens, and eventually your brain will 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 find something that's funny. And depending on how good you are, how much experience you are, and everything else, your 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 brain will get to, to the joke faster. Um, I also find another benefit of talking out loud is there are certain words that i find i can't say in a yeah. in a situation and written it might be the best joke in the world but if you can't say it properly then you're doomed um so until you say it out loud a few times and also it's just you know it's just it, jokes have to be sound fresh but they also you also have to be comfortable saying them and if they one of the drawers in your material lines of course is not it's not just the the, the joke you're telling it's how you tell it yeah and you never quite know till you say it out loud a, if you can say that particular word with that the correct intonation or that particular phraseology of the joke or how it's going to sound and it's not and it's you know that's why we all do this sort of stuff when you materialize and so on is to see how words feel in your mouth and around your tongue and if they can actually work as a concept yeah definitely definitely I totally agree Totally agree. I mean, I, the the sight of you just wandering around muttering to yourself just seems like a very normal <laughs> Saturday afternoon for you. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I do it in the padded cells, sometimes I do it in the garden, but the effect is much <laughs> the same. Yeah. Really. yeah. You know, sometimes, sometimes the cows haven't will pay attention. Yeah. If they start moving, then I've got to get off stage at that point because they're not interested. Really. Slightly annoying that that's the that's the breadth of their their flexibility in terms of in terms of speech or, or sound it's like yeah. the sound of boo <laughs> it is it's, i've never had a cow laugh in my life maybe i don't maybe other comics do i don't maybe it's just me being shit i don't know but uh, yeah certainly my cows never laughed at me once so how many how many cows have you got so uh, they're not my cows at all uh, really. I, I just we just we just live on a in, a in a cottage on a farm yeah 
which is amazing and I love dearly so we get to all have a look at all the wildlife and the cows and and no chickens because they're dangerous apparently um, yes clearly I, I've, yes. <laughs> and I've spoken get... about off air <laughs> indeed it, oh yeah sorry about that yes that, that was a callback didn't quite work because we're not naming the podcast you're gonna have to go to the podcast now it um, may well do i may i may put a little a bridge version of it in there yeah. <laughs> so i can look at all the pheasants and and the kestrels and the buzzards that come over our place and enjoy that without having to actually do any, any of the hard graph that comes with it which is nice oh wow that's amazing um yeah. have you grown accustomed to the smell of cow shit very much so I mean, I, I was born and brought up in a small holding okay. in Kent years ago, so I'm, I'm very fond of the country. I feel like I've found the place I, I don't want to live the rest of my life, and I'm absolutely loving it here. Um, and the, what the nice things about living here is that um, we're about 150 yards off the road down a, down a very suspension-damaging farm track. Yeah. And I can come up from a gig. It can be miles away. I could have, I could have smashed it. I could have died on my ass. And once I turn down that farm track, I don't care anymore either way because I'm home and no one can get me at that point. And I'm just me, I get out of the car, I can hear is the, is the stream going running past the back door and the cows chewing the cud and the sounds of owls and stuff. And it's just, I, you know, comedy can go and do one at that point because I'm home and I'm happy. Yeah. It's no wonder, no wonder that Edinburgh is an absolute nightmare for you because it's just <laughs> full of people. Yeah, people. They're the worst. I yeah. hate people. They're just the absolute worst. Yeah, I want to be home with my cows. Well, not my cows, someone else's cows. You know, it's lovely. Why would you go? Why would you leave? You know, you obviously that the video cameras off, so you can't see. But why would you leave these acres and acres of green? land and tracks and stuff with and pheasants and whatnot to Edinburgh. Why would you do that? It's madness. So that was Rob Coleman. What an episode. What a great chat we had. It was really great to chat to him. He's, he's such a such a wonderful person and it's good to see that he's so happy in his life, you know, with or without comedy. So yeah, that was great. That was great. And do you know what? You can go and follow him on all the social medias, his website and everything. Everything you need to follow him to check out his comedy and his material is all in the show notes, so check that out. You can also go and check out my stuff. That's all in the show notes. But if you want to get some instant comedy from me, you can go over to facebook.com forward slash nearly news. And there's some videos there where I've teamed up with President Abonjo. We are doing Facebook Live videos every Thursday at 17 minutes past six, where I interview him and basically annoy him with so so many arbitrary questions. I've also started working on a series of the Neely News Show where it's going to be short five-minute videos of me presenting the news and going to correspondents, and they're going to be a series of different comedians that have contributed to it. So check out that, facebook.com forward slash Neely News, and there's all those videos that are going to be there. Anyway, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen to it. Thank you so much for listening. Take care, stay safe, and I'll speak to you soon. Hello, I'm Luke Anthony. Do you love hearing about the stars, careers, lives, and mental health? Well, Meet the Stars is a brand new podcast all about that. Join me every week from Wednesday the 2nd of December for an excellent conversation with a different star each episode. 
Simply go over to members.starevents.online to become a member, which gives you exclusive access to every episode and so many other brilliant features just for you. See you there.